you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cash, the show that celebrates the greatest comic format of all time, the Treasury Edition, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining us this month to talk about Marvel Treasury Edition number 22, the sensational Spider-Man is friend of the network, Captain Entropy. Hi, Captain. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on this show. You have, this is your... Is this your third show of mine at this point, right? Are you th- three-fifths on the way to a Robbie at this point? I am four-fifths on the way to four a Robbie. Four-fifths? Yes, and I'm tracking it closely. Okay. <laughs> it's Mountain Comics, MASHcast. What's the other one? And oh, this, my gosh. This well, one? I said I was tracking it closely. I didn't know there'd be a quiz. <laughs> You're a captain. Uh, I expect, you know, come on. Uh, yeah. Were you on For All Mankind? Quiz. Did you do I, I was on for all Mankind. Oh, that's the, it. That's the, the fourth one. episode. Yep. That's right. Of course. That's that's the fourth one. Duh. I, yep. I should know these things as well. I'm issuing these certificates. So I should, <laughs> should know these things. Well, anyway, thank you uh, so much for being here. I'm excited to have you on to talk about some Treasury comics. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. I love Treasury comics. Well, that's good. Well, that leads perfectly into, you know, we'll have to be the, the intro question since you're new to the show is what, if any history do you have with this format do you did you have any of them as a kid do you have them now like what's the deal all of the above so you you and i are almost the same age rob so i mean i was i was literally getting treasuries off the rack and i mean they were coming out early enough that it was even before i had my own spending money and i was it was just pleading eyes to my parents but um yeah so uh i have the the first star wars treasury comic i have uh, a couple, actually several Spider-Man treasury comics. I have um, uh, Batman, Superman, um, the Superman number one first edition. It's probably t- uh, 10 different treasury comics. I have the, 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 the new painted Alex Ross ones. Mm-hmm. I have some that I picked up at Heroes Con in Charlotte just last year. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. And, and, and there's a good technique for selling treasuries that, uh, that, uh, race city comics uh, used to sell me uh, on these. They would mark them as $30 or $40 or $50. And then they would tell me, oh, it's really 10 or 20 when, when I started looking at it. <laughs> that is a very good sales technique, uh, guaranteed way to sell them. So you were mentioning you, you, you were getting them off the rack. Were the stores in your area as a kid, did they regularly have them or did you have to go to some kind of sp- slightly off the beaten path place because i know in my area 7-eleven was my main source of comic books and they did not carry treasury so the only time i would find them was when i was in like a woolworths or a supermarket or someplace that had more of like a bigger rack or you know, so what was that for you were they readily available it, i wouldn't say readily available it was like it, it was like spotting an endangered animal so the <laughs> 
the, you were right. Like it's, it's never going to fit on a spinner rack. So it had to be someplace that sold magazines right now. So, you know, it had to be there with like, you know, the, the outdoor life and, uh, field and stream and the wedding planner <laughs> and the, the motorcycle magazine and heavy metal. And, Oh, look, there's star Wars. <laughs> Did your parents balk at the price tags or do they look at it and figure, you know, he's, we're getting a lot of material here for a dollar. So that'll, that'll keep young captain busy. Well, there were times, especially like we talked on Mountain Comics about me and road trips and, you know, the moving around and stuff that we did, that reading material that kept me busy, busy was worth the money. So, but, <laughs> right. but, but we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So usually it was a matter of negotiation. Like I'll, you know, I'm putting back these three comics so I can get this one giant Spider-Man comic, you know. <laughs> Good deal. It teaches kids, you know, the value of a dollar, or at least exactly. in theory uh, yes. back then. But yeah, you always had to juggle. Like, what do I want more? Do I want, you know, do I want this? I want Star Wars, but this book is bigger and it has like five stories. Maybe this is better. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did Train you want to make hard choices? That's right. Uh, do you, uh, do you have, did you have this one as a kid? Sensational Spider-Man? Yeah. This was, this one's, I don't remember where I got it, but this one's been on the shelf. Um, you know, on my shelf since forever. In fact, my, uh, so my wife, Mrs. Neg Entropy, that's the opposite of entropy. Um, <laughs> she named herself. She, uh, she wanted me to admit to you that, uh, because, well, really she wanted to use this as blackmail material. So I'm going to go ahead and admit to you that, that she has at times vacuumed my treasury sitting, they're sitting lying flat on the bookshelf in one spot. And she she thinks I should be ashamed that I allowed them to get dusty. <laughs> it's very nice of her to do that, though. You know, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> a lot of un unknowing non collectors would be like, "Oh, I wiped it down with a Windex." You know, like, <laughs> no, 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 don't you're ruining it's not mint anymore. Uh, so, no. well, awesome. That's cool. I, well, now it makes sense why this was at the top of your list to cover when we were talking about you doing the show. You had this one as a kid. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 No, this was, um, and, and because this is a team up treasury and it's got all these heroes in it, it was, it was well loved. Absolutely. So this book, as I mentioned, it's Marvel treasury edition number 22. It was on sale May 8th, 1979. Uh, we have this cover again, of course, we'll see images from it on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Uh, we've got this cover of Spider-Man in front of, you know, a giant web, and it says Marvel's TV sensation, which, you know, <laughs> meh, sort of, you know, I mean, yeah, he was on TV. Was it a sensation? That's that's an argument for another day. Uh, and we've got these little inset bullets of his four uh, team up stars, Black Panther, Kazar, Doctor Strange, Captain America, all with their own logos. Uh, which I always appreciate that they take the time to go to the, you know, pull out the stats and do those. Uh, the artwork is by Bob Budiansky and Joe Sinnott. So what do you think of this cover, Captain? I think it's great. I don't, I, I don't know that I can describe the, the pose that Spider-Man is, is, is in. I think he's supposed to be standing on this giant web and mm-hmm. in kind of an action pose and reaching out to us. It's an odd stance. Um, that, that's pretty much, that's, that, I think that's my only complaint because the yellow background made it stand out on the magazine rack, uh, and, and every, all the other colors on it pop and, and, you know, this was this was pretty much house style for these guys uh, yeah. at the time, um, but it's a, but it was a good house style, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly promising a lot, you know, for your two dollars. You're like, wow, all these people in it plus Spider Man, like that's pretty cool. Yeah, and and I will say one thing about the TV sensation line. The I, I'm not trying to be too negative on the Find Your Joy <laughs> Network, but um, but it it is that TV show. When I think about it, it, always strikes me funny because like Stan Lee was the biggest booster of anything Marvel, right? And even he came out not long after that TV show and said, "Hey, they didn't get it right because you know, they didn't <laughs> give Peter Parker his problems." And 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 I remember as a kid, like you know, you're so excited just to see you know superheroes in live action. And then I saw it; and it was like, okay, well, that kind of looks cool. I mean, you know. <laughs> My favorite bit of what I remember of that show, I have, I, I've seen the pilot within yeah. the last five, 10 years, but any given episode I haven't. But the thing I remember the most would be like, you would see him put his fingers to his wrist because he's getting ready to shoot his webbing. And then it would be a separate shot of the webbing flying across. And clearly the rope is not the thing coming out of the little capsule. Cause it's like, it's the size of like a gym rope practically. Yeah. And it's yeah. just some stage hands throwing it across the screen. I'm like, Oh, okay. We're supposed to pretend that that came out of his wrist there. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but the one, one good thing I'll say is it showed him in the mask. Like the whole idea of the white lenses to me, for some reason, when I was six years old, I had a problem understanding that these are these are opaque white lenses that mm-hmm. you can still see out of. And they did a good job of showing that on the show. So so I'll give them a so it's a wash. It's a plus one for the lenses and a minus one for the incredibly fake web. Oh, they did. Yeah, the mask. I mean, you the, the, the Spider-Man mask is one of the most iconic images, you know, in like all of superhero costuming. Uh, it's easy to draw. It's fun to draw. I still doodle and I love to draw Spider-Man's face just because it's just a little webbing in the big eyes. But again, it, it, you know, it puts, uh, the, anyone can be Spider-Man. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the whole appeal of the across the Spider-Verse things and stuff like that. And there's, so yeah, I'm glad they, they had to get that mask right. You couldn't do the Batman TV show with the eyes poking through. It just would, just would not work. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense to, to say, okay, you know, he's on television. So let's give Spider-Man. I mean, at this point in the Marvel Treasury Edition run, the book was just alternating between their two TV stars. It was Spider-Man Hulk, Spider-Man Hulk, sometimes Spider-Man and Hulk, like at the Olympics or something. But they basically turned the book over to these characters during the final five, six issues of Marvel Treasure Edition. So that's what we've got going here. Yeah. And of course, some of these people are TV stars uh, in their own right. Captain America and Doctor Strange. Yeah, absolutely. So and, and were they both by 79? Were they already yeah. on? Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't remember. You're not asking anymore about uh, um, the, the treasuries that never happened, are you? Uh, what do you mean? Am I asking? About it? Like, so I remember like early on in the treasury cast uh, episodes, you were saying, okay, aside from Wonder Woman, who is obvious? Oh, um, oh the exit the question. Yeah, I haven't done those yeah. in a while. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so we save that for the exit because I want to tell you, even if you don't want to ask. Okay. Yeah. Sure. No. I mean, if you have a if you have an answer to that, well, remind me. We'll end the show that way. That would be great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. All right. Very cool. Uh, I have like okay. sixteen. Don't don't worry though. No, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um. So okay. Well, on the inside cover, we've got just some tales of contents, a tales table of contents telling you uh, uh, what's what you're going to get in the book. We see there's a couple extra features, and we'll talk about those uh, in a moment. The first story is called "The Spider and the Sorcerer." It's from Marvel Team Up number 21. It's by Len Wein, Sab Buscema, 
and uh, Frank Giacoma, Giacoya, excuse me, and uh, Dave Hunt. Spider-Man interrupts a mugging only to learn that the victim is a magician named Zandu who wanted to lure Spider-Man into a trap. Using his powers, he hypnotizes Spidey into sneaking into Doctor Strange's Sanctum Centaurum to steal a magical crystal. He transports Spider-Man inside. Under Zandu's spell, Spider-Man regards Doctor Strange as an opponent, and they fight long enough for Spidey to knock Strange out and grab the crystal. Zandu explains he previously fought Strange, and then he needs the crystal to revive his beloved Melinda, who's put into a deep sleep thanks to a spell of Zandu's gone awry. Before Zandu can revive Melinda, Doctor Strange appears, and the three of them fight inside an alternate dimension where Zandu's powers are nearly unstoppable. Strange uses a spell to switch his powers with Spidey's, which throws Zandu off guard, leading to his defeat. Back in our world, Strange attempts to revive Melinda, uh, but he learns that she is not in a magically induced spell. She is, in fact, dead, something even he cannot undo. Zandu will not believe this, and our heroes leave a broken Zandu on his knees, refusing to believe that Melinda is really gone. All right, Captain, uh, what did you think of this story? Uh, well, as a kid, I loved this story. As a grown-up, I still love this story, but I have questions. Okay. So the and, – and we can – you know, those will come up as we go along. But, I mean, this is this is a crazy 1970s Lin Ween story, and – um, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a blast. I love Doctor Strange. I always have. He's always been probably like my top five favorite Marvel characters. So I'm happy yeah. to, to to see him here. Uh, I <laughs> I really do. I, I like the way that uh, Buscema and then Ink by Giacoya slash Dave Hunt. I like. Well, really, this is all Buscema in terms of the pencils. I love that we get to see Spider-Man's point of view under the spell of Zandu. So yes. it's the same panel basically drawn twice once in green tone and then we see that like what spider-man hears is not what dr strange is saying so like when spider-man arrives dr strange is like hello spider-man my old friend what brings you here and yet we see what spider-man hears and it's in all of a sudden the pose is much more threatening and he's like how dare you invade my sanctum centaurum and so i just think that's a great conceit that we're getting to see what spider-man sees and of course that leads to the classic marvel hero on hero fight which i think every marvel comic had to have in the 70s like every single one they had yes. to c- contrive some reason why our heroes would fight yeah absolutely and and i really enjoyed that sequence too and and even as a kid they did a good job of getting across i mean with the green tone and everything this is what happened and this is what spider-man saw yeah and, and i and i think you know even now that to this day i think i'm running into people who have this spell put on them and, you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I said a certain thing and they got something completely different. Captain, how dare you? Exactly. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Zandu? Uh, with his costume, he's kind of like a low rent Baron Mordu kind of look to him. He's got this, this uh, headgear, which like some netting on it, which is kind of a strange, uh, strange thing. And, you know, it is kind of weird that like, He's doing thing. I mean, yeah, he wants to conquer the universe, of course, because because he's a villain. But for the most part, he really just wants to get his his beloved Melinda back. Like, just ask Doctor Strange for that. Like, why contrive all of this stuff? Like, just just ask Doctor Strange for help. He probably will do it. Yeah. So that's that's definitely one of the questions. And it, and I think that in, on some level, this guy, like, I don't remember where the when the Kang Ravana thing started, and the uh, and um, where. You know, he was trying to save Ravana uh, along with uh, trying to take over all of time and space. 
And so this seems reminiscent of that. The the other one that this makes me think of is is Mr. Freeze, uh, you know, as he was portrayed oh, sure. in the Batman animated series, which, you know, obviously that version of Mr. Freeze came later. But this whole, you know, comatose girlfriend thing is that's a running theme. I don't know why that drives people to villainy, but it apparently does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, the end is really brutal, though, where, like, he can't accept that Melinda's dead and he's literally on his knees pounding the the coffin and Dr. Strange and Spiderman just walk away. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, dude, I, I don't know what to do. I can't help. I mean, you know, nowadays there would be a number you can call, you know, for yeah. grief counseling. And, and they would even have, it would be a real number and they would have it at the at the bottom of the uh, of the <laughs> panel and would, that would probably be a good thing. But yeah, this is, uh, it is brutal. Um, I, and, and maybe that's part of the reason it stuck with me is because most comics uh, didn't end on such a down note, you know, where you were feeling bad for the villain like that. But definitely a low rip Baron Mordo. Um, and I don't know why, you know, evil magic is, is generally green in the Marvel Universe, but <laughs> it works. Uh, so the difference in this guy's appearance between when he started and when he powered up and when he's kind of the simpering, um, you know, first stage of grief guy at the end is interesting to me because um, at the beginning, I, I would argue he probably looks his best in his suit and fedora when he's about to be mugged. Hmm. And, and there's a panel on the third page, the second one after the splash page, where he's saying the power of Zandu and hypnotizing Spider-Man where, you know, he, he kind of looks dashing mm-hmm. and then he gets buffed up and he gets younger uh, when he gets in the, um, the, when he gets in his dimension and the eyebrows are out of control. The beard <laughs> is out of control. He just, he, he looks like a, like a kid's drawing of a villain in the face. I don't mind the stocking hood thing. That's pretty cool. Um, but he, I mean, it's funny because you can tell that, you know, the Marvel um, uh, method is being used here and Lynn is scripting it after Sal is drawing the pictures because even Spider-Man comments on his appearance and calls him Harry. And when he's in the suit, he looks, you know, normal. Uh, and then even when he's putting on the costume, the, the way it's drawn, like it's loose on him. And then yeah. when he gets to the, the, the inner dimension with that big two page spread, all of a sudden then he's ripped. Yeah. Like he's, <laughs> it's, well, I mean, it's you know, tight. yeah, if I could, uh, you know, if all I had to do was a magic spell to be ripped, then I would be too. But yeah, but yeah, well, hell yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have to finally stop jogging. Uh, yeah. I, I love the double page spread, by the way. I mean, again, it's one of the great, you know, bonuses of the treasury form as you get to see it so big where he's on the giant rock and he's looming over Spider Man and Doctor Strange. And there's all those kind of Steve Ditko, just weird interdimensional falderall stuff in the background. So uh all that's really all that's really well done. Frank Giacoya, you know, solid inker and Salbu Sema. I mean he's real like Salbu Sema was some of the most identifiable faces in all the comics. You know, like they just have they when they yell their face gets really long and yep. stuff. It's just so immediately recognizable as, as Salbu Sema's work. Yeah, and everybody is everybody's on model. I mean, if you saw these people, like if you just saw their faces, like Doctor Strange's face, and you know, and he wasn't in costume, he wasn't wasn't he was in normal clothes, you wouldn't think, oh, that's a you know, that's some guy with dark hair and a mustache. You'd say oh, that's Doctor Strange, yeah. and 
so the and, and then the splash page you're talking about or the double page spread rather the colors are what stuck out to me um uh, this uh neil yamtov i think was the colorist i was impressed because you know comics are usually in primary colors and this was like they had the 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 86 uh crayon box of the for <laughs> crayola <laughs> yes, it is Neil Yomtov, by the way. That's right. Yes, uh, I didn't mention the coloring. So, uh, yeah, so it's a good story. Uh, it's a good one to, it's a good one to lead off with. Uh, the next thing is we have a bonus feature. It's a one page pinup, a day at the Daily Bugle. And, you know, not the most exciting thing in the world because it's no Spider Man. It's just Jay Jonah, Robbie Robertson, uh, Betty Brandt, you know, and then, but, but then they, they, they put a lampshade on it when it says, uh, what would you do? If you had an extra page to fill up and nothing to put on it, <laughs> just admitting it again. I don't know why all these reprint books across both companies, across every format, was so anti-cover. Just put I, one. Just put the cover there. I don't get why they were so like. No, no, no. We're going to shrink them down to tiny size and put them on the back inside cover in black and white. I don't. They, but that's, they, did they always that. did that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know either. Um, I, I mean, they they pay they pay good money for the covers, and they don't have to pay yeah. again to use them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, you know, it's fun. I just, and again, I like that they cop to it. They're like, oh, we have a page to fill. All right, let's have a pinup that nobody's going to care about of the yeah. the inner workings of the Daily Bugle. So, well, and, and 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 like, I mean, obviously, there's no action or whatever, but it's funny, you know. Uh, Robbie yeah. saying, "Don't you remember you just fired Parker?" And, <laughs> The, and, and, you know, if you have like, you know, warm feelings for these characters, then, then you'll appreciate that at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so then, uh, there's the next story, which is the coming of Stegron, the dinosaur man. Oh, Rob, Rob, you're saying yep. it wrong. So, J- Jared, yeah, Jared Albrecht, Albrecht, I'm sorry, on, uh, on the, the Amazing Spider Man Chronicles has, has taught me that it's Stegron. How did I say it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to make a joke out of the sibilance here. <laughs> you know, you've got to you've got to drag out Stegron. Oh, that, Stegron. Uh, okay, yeah. all right. Okay. Yeah, the S the... has to last about four seconds. Oh, I see. Okay, the coming of Stegron. Oh, there we go. All right. That does sound better. Uh, the coming of Stegron, the dinosaur man, <laughs> Marvel team up number nineteen. Also by uh, Lynn Ween. This time the penciler is Gil Kane, and the anchor is once again Frank Giacoya. At the request of Dr. Kurt Connors, Spider-Man parachutes into the Savage Land to find Stegron, the half-man, half-Stegron, di- the half-man, half-dinosaur. <laughs> Spidey has to fend off an attack from a dinosaur, which catches the notice of Kazar. Uh, Spidey explains why he's there, just as some beast men get the drop on them both, knock them out, and bring them to Stegron's temple. A battle ensues, leading Stegron to unleash a small army of dinosaurs under his command. As Spider-Man and Tra- Kazar try to save themselves, Stegron boards a huge ship and escapes, but not before Spidey shoots a web line onto it, pulling him into the sky to be continued. So it's yes. part one of a of an ongoing story. So what did you think of this story, Captain? I thought it was amazing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this story was my introduction to the Savage Land. And just the idea that there was a place that had, and, and my introduction to Kazar, a place that had dinosaurs still in the modern day in the middle of Antarctica and had a, like this, this weird blonde Tarzan equivalent. That was, <laughs> it was, it was just, it was, it was really exciting world building for me in the Marvel universe. I like this one a lot too, mostly from the Gil Kane artwork. Uh, I'm oh, yeah. a huge fan of, of Gil Kane. What about you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Gil Kane was different across different eras. And, uh, and, but this was definitely a good era. Um, even the splash page where um, Spider-Man is just hanging in the door of the shield transport and you got the pilot looking, you know, looking back and talking to him and it just, it, it looks great. It looks like something out of, you know, jet age art. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really terrifically drawn. Um, I don't know if I like Frank Giacoya as an anchor for, for Gil Kane. I think he smooths Kane out just a little too much, but it doesn't really matter. Kane's uh, layouts and his anatomy, are all so exciting. And I mean, I love the whole, the attack of like the beast men is great. And, and he draw, I love the, I love the, um, the temple that, that Stegron has got this big snake, you know, thing that looks like I've got a throne that looks fantastic. By the way, uh, how did you have Mego dolls growing up? Yeah, I had a few of them. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 I'm no Chris Franklin, but I, but right. I have it. None of us are, but, uh, we all are familiar with, uh, Migo's notorious cost cutting ways and that they were always kind of repurposing sculpts to make yep. other toys and how they never made a Stegron doll out of their lizard. I mean, maybe they were like, well, those two characters are too similar or something, but it's like, I don't know. They could have just painted their lizard orange and, t- you know, just called it Stegron. <laughs> you know, I mean, the kids didn't know Stegron that much. But still, they could have gotten a Spider-Man villain out of it with probably not having to re-sculpt a whole lot. He's a ridiculous villain because you're trying to imagine he's got that beak and you're like, how does he talk? Like he's very, he's loquacious. He speaks a oh, yeah. lot through these stories and you got to wonder, what does that sound like? You know, does he sound like human? Like whatever. But nevertheless, he looks really cool. And so, uh, I like him a lot. And, 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 uh, Kazar is drawn by Gokane with all the dinosaurs. We've got the two page. Uh, spread of the dinosaurs attacking. Uh, it's just per Kane is just really just a winner on this stuff. Yeah, no, uh, um, I totally agree. And I was fascinated by Stegron. Uh, you know, obviously this was my introduction to him too, since it was the, the first appearance and I wasn't around for, for the, the original Marvel team. Of, and yeah, he was not, um, he didn't have the Q rating or the draw uh, of the lizard. And, um, and so I, I'm sure that's why Migo didn't do it. But, you know, Rimco figured out years later, you can take the most obscure characters and make uh, money off of the action figures that's as long true. as they look cool. That's true. Yeah. So and, and then it ends up having a like a reverse effect because you get a cool toy and suddenly it's more popular in the comics, I think. Yeah, it gives it it gives us some extra weight. You know, you're like, wow, they made a toy out of this guy. You must be like a heavy hitter. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's so, not really true. Yeah, and they could have. So in my head, uh, Stegron, because they because they always made a point of him drawing out that S. He sounded like uh, you know every snake sounds like in the Jungle Book or in the Harry Potter movies. You know, when snakes talk, they have a certain manner of speech. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that would that's probably exactly how he would sound. Uh, I love in the last page of the story, which is page 38 of the actual treasury. Now, I don't have the original comic. I'm only ever reading it from this reprint. Because this is a continued story, I'm going to assume, uh, if you look in the last panel, when Spidey is attached to Stegron's ship and he's, you know, a stowaway, um, there's this large section devoted to an all-white cloud. 
and there's no detail in there. It's just a flat white. I have to assume that Marvel stuck probably, you know, three different balloons in there saying next issue, Spider-Man and Black Panther next issue, you know, whatever be there. You, cause you demanded it. And I liked it. I'm going to, again, I'm going to assume that all that was there. Marvel never missed a chance to promote the next issue, but I like that they took all that out. I like that. It just ends on this kind of nice, strangely composed panel where three fourths of it are just the white cloud because you don't need to, to continue to be continued box. Cause the story continues in two pages. Well, see, to me, this is a little bit like the ads. Like I would have wanted to see their, 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 uh, uh, their banter and, and how they were going to okay. pitch the Spider-Man, the Spidey, uh, Black Panther get together. But, I, but I see what you're saying. You know, it's, it's a pretty cloud. They, you don't see, um, you know, the panels are so small when they're drawn for the regular comic size. Um, you don't see blocks of color without detail very often. Yep. Yep. Which, which you do see in real life. So it's kind of striking when it happens. Yeah, it really stands out. Yeah, it's terrific. It's a fun adventure. Again, they briefly, Spider-Man and Kazar briefly are about to fight, and then they stop it. So, again, once again, it's always, you know, who who are you? And then, oh, okay, all right, okay, let's, that's fine. Let's let's team up and fight, uh, fight Stegron here. So the story goes right into the next part, which is from Marvel 2 and 1 number 20. This story is called Dinosaurs on Broadway, of course, again, by Lynn Ween. Um, yeah. by Sal Buscema and Frank Giacoya and Mike Esposito this time. Uh, Stegron discovers Spider-Man, knocks him out and throws him off, uh, <laughs> throws him off the ship so he will fall into the ocean. At Avengers Mansion, Jarvis tells the only hero there, Black Panther, that the Avengers sensors have spotted a massive ship headed for New York. Black Panther takes off to investigate just in time to see Spider-Man plunging from the sky. He rescues him and brings him back to Avengers Mansion. They talk to Dr. Connors, who explains that Stegron is power mad. Stegron proves that judgment is correct by landing in Manhattan and leading his army of dinosaurs through the streets. Meanwhile, Mary Jane is busy looking for Peter Parker and figures that anywhere Spider-Man is, he'll be there too. So despite the danger of the dinosaurs, Mary Jane sticks herself into the middle of the fight between Stegron and Spidey and Black Panther, almost getting crushed by a felled dinosaur. Spidey rescues her, but to throw her off the scent of his secret identity, he is purposely brusque with her. Stegron leaps aboard a pterodactyl, with Spidey again along for the ride. A solid left from Spidey to Stegron's jaw lands him in the Hudson River, where Stegron learns, much to his dismay, that dinosaurs are lousy swimmers. He disappears under the water, and Spider-Man remarks to Black Panther and Dr. Connors that he feels bad that it had to end this way. Okay, Captain, so what do you think of part two? Well, I, I loved it. I mean, the whole the whole visual of, of the dinosaurs uh, streaming down Broadway was amazing. Um, even though some of the dinosaurs that are supposed to be vegetarians have clearly sharp teeth uh, in both <laughs> of the stories, uh, but you know, Gil Kane's amazing, so we'll forgive him for that. Um, it's the it, everybody gets involved here. I mean, the police are there. Kirk Connors is there. Black Panthers, you know, jumps in early in the in the in the issue to to save spider-man and it's it seems like a real event you know like something that uh everybody would would remember if you were in new york the day the dinosaurs ran down (laughs) broadway (laughs) well but this is the marvel universe i mean it's like a thursday you know i know know, but this is not you know it's not the same as oh electro came on and the power was out for an hour i mean you know (laughs) this is a bigger deal it's 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 a big it's more spectacle I, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I think in, in this universe, it's like, oh, there's that guy that's going to eat our planet. 
Uh, he's here again in that weird helmet. Oh, the Fantastic Four fought him off. That's awesome. Well, okay, I guess I got to go to work. Uh, I've always loved the Black Panther. Oh, again, one of my favorite yeah. Marvel characters. Um, I think that him and Spider-Man are kind of a good pair because he's sort of, Black Panther's very, you know, serious, not super serious, but just a little more formal. You know, I mean, he's a king and regal. There you go. That's a better term for it. You know, and so he's a, he's a good contrast with Spider-Man. Uh, I like that uh, they do, he does the whole, kind of like Lando Calrissian rescuing Luke at the bottom of Bespin Cloud City, where yep. he's literally dangling out of this apparatus to rescue Spider-Man as he's falling through the sky. Uh, I think that's that, that's a fun bit. Um, so I enjoyed it. Before all that. Lando did it. Yep. Before Lando did it. Yes, of course. Yes, this is, yep. this is many years before uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Mary Jane's whole bit, I love her. She's like, I'm going to find Peter. I'm going to subject myself to danger, which is just incredibly stupid. Uh, and I love that also Spidey. incredibly Mary Jane. It is very Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I like that Spidey, you know, uh, he's like, he gets me, you know, he's like, get out and stay out. Okay. And she's like, yes, sir. Sorry to do that. Mary Jane. <laughs> That's a good bit. He's constantly thinking of his secret identity. There's, there's dinosaurs rampaging through the center. He's got time to like, got to throw her off the scent here, uh, which I, I thought was, that was great. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Rob, but the, the are you aware of the retcon about Mary Jane knowing his secret identity? No, I'm not aware of that. All right. So it was probably the 90s. Uh, and I, I should have looked up the exact issue number before we started recording. But uh, there was a point where uh, Peter and Mary Jane had a serious talk. And, you know, their relationship was on again, off again. Uh, he asked her to, to marry him. Um, and, and and this happened shortly before he asked her to marry him again. And the second time she said yes. And the... Anyway, one of the things he finds out in this conversation is that she's known he's Spider-Man for years. And she just, she didn't let on because she didn't want him to worry about her knowing. And um, anyway, uh, reading this now and, you know, knowing that decision that was made much later, but reading it like with that in mind and pretending that, that that was the case the whole time. Um, this thing makes even more sense, I think. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. That's that's, that's really neat. Um, I love the final page where uh, Stegron falls off the the pterodactyl, and it's all just the very uh, tall, narrow panels of him drowning. Oh yeah, uh, which is great because he realizes that you know, as a dinosaur man, he probably weighs several hundred, pa- probably maybe even you know, maybe even into the thousand of pounds, and that prevents him from uh. Uh, from from being able to swim and i like the detail of by uh let me see who did the the lettering in this story i always you should mention the letters i i tend to skip it um Artie simak legendary Artie already simak oh, yeah. uh i love the panel where he falls into the water and the lettering actually trails out of the word balloon where he goes like i'm sinking i sink and like the lettering literally falls out of the balloon which i've almost never seen uh, in a sort of, sort of standard, I mean, maybe later and like John Workman would kind of really play with letter forms. But for this, this, that's kind of early. And I thought that what is, that's an interesting detail to actually take the lettering out of the balloon to suggest the idea that the sound is slowly trickling under the water. That's a great effect. Yeah. It's a terrific technique. And, um, and, and those panels that you're talking about, those five panels are really four after he's hit the, hit the water. Um, you know, we talked about how the 
uh, Zandu's grief at the end was brutal. This is pretty brutal too. It is. Yes, you, it is. you know, you, you didn't like water as a kid. I had a, a near drowning incident when I was 17. Oh my. The, um, so don't try to swim directly against a rip current kids. Uh, go parallel nice. to the shore till you're out of it and then go in. But anyway, the, um, yeah, this, uh, this is another scene that stuck in my head, you know, and, and it's not just that, that, Stegron is a dinosaur man. His his name is Stegron, so he had to be a Stegosaurus man by the laws of comic books. Right. So right. you know, if he'd been a Pleosaur man, no problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, and they don't search for him, right? Which they could do. I mean, I get, I mean, I know it's Spider-Man and Black Panther who are not like you know water-based characters, yeah, yeah. but they could. You know, I mean, they could look for it if they wanted to. I'm sure the Avengers Quinjet technology is sufficient to try and scoop somebody out of the Hudson River if they needed that. But, you know, they're like, well, I mean, it does say a short while later. So maybe Black Panther took a couple of minutes to get there. Well, let's assume Spider-Man, let's give them all the credit in the world. And Spider-Man looks so down and out and beaten, not just because, you know, let's face it, he accidentally killed Stegron. But because um, he's exhausted from swimming around trying to find it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and poor Spidey walks off again with his head in his hands, like, "Oh, I don't, I don't feel much better." So yeah, this is kind of a kind of a downer collection uh, <laughs> of stories of Marvel Two and One at the time. Lynn Wein must have been in a real mood or something. Uh, but, but, okay, but but like you know, Black Panther is like you said, he's a great hero, and he's on top of that, he's a good guy. And I always got the impression he genuinely likes Spider Man. So I mean, they they had to beat the bad guys if um, if something tragic hadn't happened at the end. They actually would have had a pleasant moment and a friendly farewell. And you you mm-hmm. you know, I learned from Cisco, you can't do that in Marvel. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. He's always talking about that over enough of you team up about how how they wrap it up uh and so yeah these are kind of like oh, okay uh so yeah uh but anyway it's a good two-parter you know i'm I'm like that they put them together i've always i always was a you know the team-up books obviously didn't always command uh customer loyalty because the team-up star was different of course marvel team uh, spider-man every time so if you're a spider-man fan you're buying it but i always yeah. i always like that where they would you know they did in Marvel two and one as well where they would continue the stories but with just a different team up star. I thought that's that's always a fun conceit. He's like, oh he met this guy for part one and then he meets this guy for part two. And so putting them together in a sort of little mini trade paperback here, it's terrific. Yeah, I think it's it's plausible too. Like, you know, the um the the fight leaves uh the Savage Land, which I, you know it just occurred to me now. Um Spider Man hung on to that 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 uh, I don't know, fantastic car thing that you know, plus size fantastic car thing, helicarrier or whatever he's got. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that Stegron had from Antarctica to New York. That's a trip. <laughs> yeah, that is insane. But like you know, obviously, okay, you know, okay, the fight's headed north. Kazar's out, right? The um, you run into Black Panther as he's on the way back to Wakanda, like, and, and sometimes in these things, it's just like, hey, I've got some. You know, the heroes are just, I've got somewhere else to be, you know, and they can't <laughs> continue the adventure. And that, that, like I said, that seems like something that might really happen. <laughs> I know they're not going to take the time to do it, but like, 
it'd be hysterical that he lands in New York's Spiderman and he's like, I just got to grab a hot dog. I am starving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone all the way from, I've been not just, not just taking a trip from Antarctica to New York, but hanging, like using my muscles <laughs> and flying through the cold sky all the way to New York. Yeah. That is, that's a hell of a trip. <laughs> uh, so, all right, well, let's move on to our, our final story. This is the granite sky. It is from Marvel team up number 13. Once again, by Len Wein. Once again, by Gil Kane and inked by Frank Giacoya. Yeah. Peter Parker, still mourning the death of Gwen Stacy, is wandering the New York waterfront. He is accosted by a drunken sailor who tries to cheer Peter up to no avail. Wanting to be alone, Peter quickly changes into Spider-Man and swings away. A meteor then falls into the water and a strange man comes out. He grabs the sailor's hand, turning the man into stone. Spider-Man goes looking for a crime to stop and stumbles upon Captain America in battle with some AIM agents. They defeat them together and our heroes are transported to a floating shield helicarrier. Nick Fury tells Spidey that Cap is on a mission to stop AIM from getting a hold of a new telemetry system. Meanwhile, we see that the man who crashed in the meteor is the Grey Gargoyle, stranded in space by Captain America and now plotting revenge in cahoots with AIM, who launched a missile at the, at the meteor so Grey Gargoyle could crash land on Earth. Spidey and Captain America smashed away into Grey Gargoyle's secret base, but he grabs them both and turns them to stone. He then straps them both to missiles, which contain a weapon that will allow Grey Gargoyle Gargoyle to turn whole cities into stone. The rockets take off, and Grey Gargoyle thinks he has won, only to find Spider-Man and Captain America are back to normal. They fight once again, and in the chaos, Grey Gargoyle's leg gets caught in some chains attached to another rocket, dragging him back into outer space. The aim goons defeated. Spider-Man heads for home. Okay, Captain, what do we think of this one? Well, so this is actually my least favorite story of the pack. I still enjoyed it, uh, but um, but when I was looking up how they were originally presented, I noted that this was the earliest, chronologically, presentation-wise, this was from Marvel Team-Up number 13. Right, this is the oldest and, one, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, and, and I was trying to figure out why this one isn't as appealing because I, I mean, I love Spider-Man and I really, really love Captain America. And I think they're represented pretty well and the art's terrific. But so, so I do enjoy the story. It's, you know, it's just a matter of relative compared to the others with dinosaurs going down Broadway. And maybe that's part of it. But the, um, but I, I think some of it is the dialogue. I don't think Lynn Ween has everybody's voice down yet. And there's some some kind of over the top dialogue by by Spider Man and Nick Fury in in places. Hmm. Actually, I would say this this was actually my favorite of the four. Um, part of it is I love Spider Man and Captain America together, kind of like right. what I talked about with Spider Man and Black Panther. I yep. I look at I look at Spidey and Cap as you know the the two they're the Superman and Batman of the DC of the Marvel universe. Like to me, they're the biggest yeah. stars. Now I would get Marvel would probably argue with that they'd probably say spider-man and hulk were their two marquee characters but captain america always has been my favorite marvel character yeah and, yeah so i love him together with spider-man uh, i love the way it's drawn by gil kane and i've always loved the gray gargoyle i i like the characters that can turn people into things i mean obviously he's very similar to he's a goofier version if that's even such a thing as of the absorbing man yeah. uh, but the idea of being turned to stone is kind of creepy and old timey monstery a little bit, you know, got like a Medusa thing. Uh, I like all the Nick Fury being worked in. I like just the like craziness of the Marvel universe that it's like aim is like, we're going to hit this meteor with a missile. 
So Gregorio, Gregorio <laughs> will fall to earth and he hits New York, right? Luckily. I mean, yes, he falls in that. And then we're going to team up together. And then Gregor, it's so tough to say, Greg Gargoyle ends up getting shot back into space because he gets stuck to a missile due to, due to a dumb chain. Like, I just love, it's such an ignominious way to end this yeah. film. You know, he ends back and, ah, you know what I mean? Like, kind of you were talking about going from Antarctica to New York. Imagine being strapped to a rocket by your leg and being carted all the way from New York into outer space. That's a pretty oh. terrifying trip. Thank God he's made of stone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Or it'd be a very short trip, really. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. No, this, the story is convoluted and insane. And, um, and, you know, and him splashing, you know, into the harbor in New York, like he, he, he even has a line somewhere in there where he hangs a lampshade on it saying something like the, it was a simple matter for aim to, right. you know, to <laughs> deflect sure. the thing to, you know, drop him in here perfectly. It's like, really? The, like they're working for AIM and it's a simple matter for them to do that. They could be running NASA. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, it's uh, Brett Young and I were, were discussing this on mountain comics when we talked about Marvel two and one number 81, because that features AIM uh, soldiers. And his supposition was that everyone in AIM is a scientist. And I never got that. I always assumed that like a lot of these guys were just goons yeah, but uh, apparently they're all supposed to be scientists. So I mean, these 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 guys are like stormtroopers. They're just like a bunch of clowns that are easily defeated by the by the metric ton. You know, Spider Man can punch three of them and knock three of them out simultaneously. I didn't. I never got the idea they were all supposed to be kind of like eggheads or anything. Yeah, no, I, I I think the same thing as Brett. But if I remember correctly, he thought they were like the the loser scientists, like the <laughs> right, you know, because the there's a guys. hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, yes, you got your doctorate from you know Sneed State or whatever, and the and, and you know we we have a job for you, but you are not the high producing guy in the lab. But, you know, <laughs> but, but if that's if that's true. Then, you know, they're not pulling off this thing with Greg Orgoyle and getting him back specifically to New York Harbor. So I don't know. I don't know how that works, but, (laughs) but no, I, but, but I do agree. Like I always thought they were, they were all scientists too. And that was my excuse for why, like, like you said, stormtroopers can't shoot. These guys can't fight. Right. That's a a terrible, that's a terrible stereotype. There's probably tomorrow I'll meet. You know, I'll I'll meet some physicist who's a jujitsu black belt, and he's going to kick my butt. <laughs> that, that was the stereotype. I do like. There's one panel. It's page seventy four of the Treasury where uh, Cap gets knocked out by a like a jolt of electricity, and he's unconscious. And Spider Man is temporarily distracted, and we see behind him one of the guys, one of the scientists, is just going to hit him with a club. Yes, like that's it. and he does. He lands. He lands. It knocks Spider Man off a platform. But I like that. You know, it's kind of that hands on. Like just grab up a piece of pipe and hit Spider Man with it. Um, there were two details I specifically wanted to mention here. Was one. I'm jumping to the end, but I when then when Greg Gargoyle's leg gets caught in the chain, right, and he notices and he starts yelling to the aim. He's like, "My chain, my the, the chain caught around my ankle." And he goes, "Stop the countdown in pity's name! Stop the countdown!" And it, have you ever seen the 1990 Captain America movie? The god awful Captain America movie from that time? I'm sure I have. Was this, uh, Rep Brown? Uh, no, no, that's the seventies one. This okay. is the one starring Matt Salinger, the son of JD Salinger. Uh, and it features, uh, the Red Skull and Ned Beatty is in it and Ronnie Cox is in it. it it's an absolute 
just it's a terrible movie no, and there's I've this not seen this oh my god uh, but there's a scene and it was made for about 12 dollars um there's a scene in it though where red skull he straps captain america to a rocket and he's going to send him into outer space and then as the countdown is happening captain america grabs the red skull and says something to the effect of like you know well there's room enough on this rocket for two and he's not going to let go and for years because and also in that movie the red skull is italian not german uh, and so that was the same the same red skull as the fantastic four movie that, that never made it to the theaters uh ba- the same basic idea yeah basic, okay, basic okay. concept yeah. and but there's a scene where you know cap grabs him and the red skull pulls out a knife and instead of cutting off cap's hand he cuts off his own hand which makes <laughs> no sense but and for for many years uh, a friend and I, whenever we would recall, we thought that scene was so comically awful, but we would recall Red Skull yelling, stop at a countdown, stop at a countdown. And like <laughs> his most, you know, Michael Corleone kind of thing. Now I will say I went back and rewatched the scene. It's on YouTube. He doesn't actually say that. He never actually says stop at the countdown, but he does yell like, you know, Turn the rocket, the rocket. And, you know, he cuts off his own hand to survive, which is very silly. But when I see Gregor yelling, stop the countdown, it's, I, I couldn't help but, but think of that. Uh, and then the other one I wanted to mention is page 74, once again, of the treasury, same, actually same page I mentioned earlier. This page was repurposed for a piece of Marvel merchandise. In the 70s, there was a T-shirt that you could buy, and it was in ads in various Marvel comics, and the whole shirt was a comic book page in a monochromatic black, white, and blue tint with some, I think, with some red highlights even. And it's this page. It's, yeah, they I just think took, I've seen it. Yeah. They just took this page, and they put it on a T-shirt. And back then... That was very unusual. They didn't generally put, you know, covers on T-shirts. They didn't put comic book pages. They would do, you know, stock poses. But I, I always wanted that shirt. I never did. And uh, when I was looking at this, this story, I was like, this looks familiar. What do I? And then when I found the ad, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. So they just took this page and made it into a T-shirt. And from the ads, it looked like a boss T-shirt. Yeah, it's, it's a very pop art way to go. Yeah, totally. Um, so it was really cool. So I was really happy about that because again, I love that shirt. Again, I wish I wish I'd had it. Uh, they probably don't make it in my size anymore, so I probably can't have it even if I wanted it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it fit around my fit around my arm at this point, probably. Uh, but anyway, that's th- those are the four team ups, and it's really really quite a nice collection. And then obviously wait. Marvel had a couple of pages left to fill, so wait. they yes. Wait, I'm sorry. There's more on this team up. If oh, you don't okay. Mind me. Okay. No, go so, ahead. No, so first thing we have to talk about Nathaniel the Drunken Sailor. Okay, and so so this this comic book answers the musical question of what do you do with a drunken sailor? <laughs> what you do is you tell him about your romantic problems. And and I looked it up. The, this guy was in the previous issue. Yeah, he was in a Marvel team up with uh, Human Torch, where Human Torch was telling him about his uh, problems with Crystal going back to uh, Attilan. Uh, uh, back to the uh, back to the Inhumans. So um, hmm. he is like a relationship counselor in the Marvel Universe. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and the um, and I was really excited when I saw the panel that said Greg Argoyle's uh, touch 
um, like turn people to stone, but only for an hour. Cause I, I was worried about Nathaniel. And, <laughs> and so then, um, page 61, which is the page after, or no, the same page where, where Nathaniel gets turned to stone, you see Peter yelling at a spider. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the weird things that like took me a little bit out of the story is he just, he's just randomly ranting at a spider, which is probably normal in New York, but you know, it comes across a little weird. Thanking arachnid. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the, uh, um, some of the Nick Fury dialogue, um, where he's, uh, anytime you want to play in the big time, you just let Nick Fury know, and you know, there's this like this uh, macho contest between him and Spider-Man. Is th- that's what I was talking about? Where it just it came across as a little cheesy, and he basically dares uh, Spider-Man to come in on this mission. So, and by the way, do you know what telemetry is? Uh, I have a vague idea, right? It's a sort of is this a kind of radar system, or is that, or is it for tracking? Close. Okay. Yeah, it's it's more for tracking. It's it's this uh it's communication between the missile and and you know the the people on the ground and it's it's reporting hey all my systems are are green or whatever. And uh anyway, the that the MacGuffin is a telemetry system. Right. And that's the only thing Greg Gargoyle needs. Everything else he's got in order to to uh turn entire cities to lifeless stone that and and, it, and the aim scientists can't come up with this that was that was pretty comical to me okay <laughs> I, I i'm done with my nitpicks we can move on to uh the the real story of, of the episode which is which is how marvel comics are made exactly here yes here we go applauding from amazing spider-man annual number five it's by Stan Lee, Marie Severin, and Frank Giacoya. Man, this this is really a, a, a stealth Frank Giacoya treasury edition, really. He's involved yeah, really. in everything. You know? And it tells the story of Stan Lee, his brother Larry Lieber, and Jazzy John Romita about how they plot an average issue of a Marvel comic. And it looks like something from not Brand Eck, if anyone yeah. remembers that, that series. But now it's from the Spider-Man annual. And it features a cameo appearance by Roy Thomas. Uh, talking about he's working on Conan and it's, you know, it's one of those things that just made Marvel Marvel is that it, it would give you these little slice of life stories supposedly about what it was like in the crazy Marvel offices. And I, I'm sure I was not the only kid that, uh, you know, was kind of like, Oh man, I can't wait to visit the Marvel offices when they seems like a crazy place, you know, <laughs> like yeah. this is what they're doing all day. They're climbing the walls and they're, you know, maybe a DC always seemed like a bunch of lawyers, yeah. Uh, but Marvel made it sound fun. It's just, you know, they had three extra pages. It was nice to throw this in here. Yeah. Sorry. You, you say that. I'm just imagining like you can't tell, uh, um, uh, the DC offices from Goldman Sachs, you know, but, um, yeah, no, that it, it did. It, uh, this looked like a lot of fun to me. I, as a kid, I remember not understanding about half of this. Mm-hmm. But still knowing it was funny, you, you know how when you're a kid and you 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 see these things and it's like I know I'm not getting all of this, but what I'm getting is good. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know something else that Marvel did that it took. I mean, look, everyone knows I I've always was more of a DC kid than a Marvel kid, and so I don't mean to be constantly kind of knocking DC, but it, it, this is just the way it was. Is that Marvel? One of the things that Marvel did that I think DC had a had a 
play catch up on was that Marvel was willing to poke fun at its even most serious characters. Oh yeah. And like, there's a panel here where they're imagining Dr. Doom and the, and he's in like a, he's got like a feather duster and like a maid's apron, you know, and they're willing to make him look silly, you know, and yeah. this is Dr. Doom. This is like the big bad of the Marvel universe, but they, even in this one little panel, they're making, they're willing to make him look silly as they used to do in like the subscription ads and in foom and things like that. Marvel just didn't take anything seriously. And I think that was very liberating for a lot of young comic readers. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. And the, uh, and, and Dr. Doom was probably the most on model character in these three pages. So, you know, except for the apron and the duster, he could be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's again, it's a great, it's a great little piece. Uh, I will say, you know, I was lucky enough through my life to have been to both the Marvel and DC offices. And as I, as I, as I mentioned in, in other episodes, other podcasts I've done, I was once shushed into silence at the DC offices. That never happened to me at Marvel when I was a kid. (laughs) I, you know, it was always a Marvel was always a very lively place, always very friendly. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it wasn't, Yes, it's exaggerated here, but it wasn't that far off in terms of the general tone. Uh, so it's nice. It's a, it's a fun little feature. And then on the inside back cover, we've got the cover gallery. And yeah. I will die on this hill. Nobody, nobody in the comics business had better covers in the 1970s than Marvel Comics. Their yeah. covers are just always not mostly, you know, a lot of them designed by Gil Kane, but even yeah. when they weren't, they just were exciting they were cover copy you know within an inch of its life the colors were bold i just i could stare at marvel i if somebody published if tashin you know did one of those 500 page books that weighed 50 pounds and cost 500 dollars, that was like the marvel covers of the 70s and it was just every cover from january 1970 to december 1979 like i would buy that book and yeah. it's a shame that the four covers are, as I mentioned earlier, back cover, black and white, and reduced down to a quarter of their size. But you know, better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you on your 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 decree about uh, uh, about 1970s Marvel covers, especially. Look at Zandu on the cover here. He looks like me. He's way cooler looking. Oh man, it's fantastic. Comic. Yeah. And, and if, and if they published that book that you're talking about, the, um, I, my only concern about that would be that it would be like the, the first hit of heroin. And what <laughs> I mean is you, you get that and you see all these covers to comics you never knew existed. And then you would want to read the story. Totally. Totally. It would be really, really, really cool. So, uh, so then one last thing, we got the back cover and with this is features uh, little insets of our three, well, not insets, three different little sort of panels of our villains Andrew the Mad, the Grey Gargoyle, and Stegron the Dinosaur Man. It's nicely drawn. It's fine. It's not, uh, again, Zandu looks way more imposing here. Uh, than he does in the story itself, like you just mentioned with the Gil Kane cover. But uh, yeah, the you know, background is great too on Zandu. Yeah, it looked again very you know Marvel crazy uh, interdimensional stuff, and so it looks cool. You know, it's nice again. It's it's you know trying to separate kids from their two dollars, and obviously with some kids it worked. Oh yeah, worked worked with me. So I'm <laughs> uh, and and I don't regret it. 
Absolutely. So overall, like, what do you think of this as a as a treasury? I mean, it's it's a nice, it's a great theme. Team ups, you know. So I think overall, it, it hangs together pretty well. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely does. Uh, if you look at all those double page spreads, um, especially the Gil Kane stuff, the it almost looks like it was designed to be a treasury, but you know it wasn't. That you, right. you know, the, these these were just regular Marvel team up issues, but. Uh, but man, they did a good job picking them, and and I guess maybe double page spreads and 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 splash pages were more popular back then. But uh, it really worked well as translating it uh, into this format. What what did you think? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I well, I think they almost insisted on the double page spreads back then. Like you had to do it. That was that was how you told the story. You had to at least have those in one. But yeah, I, I like it when they would do these theme issues marvel was always so much more explicit with its themes like they would just kind of tell you about on the cover like a couple of months ago henry bernstein and i covered the superman treasury that was all like superman and kids interacting in some way that's the one where he's flying in front of the statue of liberty with the kid on his back which by the way the statue of liberty figures in this story as well we see it a lot in the um the black panther team up but they don't even say it like it doesn't say you know superman and kids or whatever theme you just had to kind of figure that out on your own by reading the stories Mm -hmm. but here it's right on the cover it's like featuring the web slingers greatest team ups. like okay do you like marvel team up did you miss those issues well here here's four of them for two dollars yeah well um a a little side story here to 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 affirm your point uh shag introduced me to the darkness to light podcast Mm -hmm. i just started listening to that which is is great but uh, M on there uh, with uh, with Professor Allen, um, she makes the point that the themes in in the Daredevil TV show are very explicit, and it works because they're it, that's the way things are in comics. You know, they they just they don't do subtle well, and that's one thing you can say about Marvel. They're not subtle. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, they leave nothing to chance. They you know, they're like, hey. This is what you kids want. And here it is. So yeah, it's it. It's it's a nice. I do wish that Marvel had you know spread the wealth a little bit more near the end of the the Treasury oh, yeah. run. It had just not been Spider Man and Hulk with like an occasional Conan thrown in. Yeah. But that said, uh, you know, I'm glad they were. It wasn't just four random Spider Man stories. It's like, oh no, let's. He's been the star of Marvel team up for all these years. Let's 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 put it together and again. And in, in an era when these comics were five six years old by this point, you couldn't get them anymore. They're gone. You know, so yeah. here's your chance to get them again. Yeah, and I remember being very excited about that. That was a window into the past. And honestly, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm still kind of excited when I go to the back issue bins and I find something that looks cool that I've that I've never seen before. But it was a really big deal when you were a kid. Oh, absolutely. Let me as we're wrapping up here, uh, and, and I won't forget our our exit question, Captain. But mm-hmm. um, do you buy back issues on eBay or in comic stores? Yeah, I do. And, and, um, so, and I've hit a point where, uh, new comics are not reliable enough for me to take a chance. Mm-hmm. I wait on, you know, I wait on people like, you know, who are still reading the comics, like Martin Gray or Dr. Ange or somebody right. like that, um, uh, to report back and tell me, okay, you know, this is really good. And it's not a decompressed story that takes five pages for them to, you know, to walk from the bedroom to the living room. Um, and, and it's, and the heroes all act like who they're supposed to be. And so the supporting characters and, and so, and a lot of those are coming out right now. So, so my list of new comics that I need to check out is, is getting bigger, but I also know that if I go back to the seventies, 
and pull out, uh, you know, uh, an Irv Novik Batman hmm. or, you know, or, or uh, a Power Man and Iron Fist that I'm, I'm probably going to get a, a good story. And the prices, like the, those comics are way more expensive now than, than their cover price from 1976 or whatever. Oh, sure. Which still makes them cheaper than the comic on the, on the, the new comic <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, when I, I, I don't visit comic shops that frequently, but when I do, if it's a store that has a lot of back issues, that's the fun. I will go through and I will find stuff that I, you know, I don't want to spend more than like say five bucks yeah. for a book, but it'll, it'll be something that I would normally never buy or, or, or that, no, no, not normally never buy. It's not something that I'm going to go to eBay to get. Like I'm going to hunt it down. Right. Cause I'm, but it's random. You know what I mean? So I'm just kind of zipping through like, Oh, the Marvel team up bin. Oh, look at this. You know, here's an issue with Spider-Man and whomever. Uh, oh, Spider-Man or Red Sonia. How much is it? It's $4. I'll buy that, but I don't buy that on eBay because there's, it's no fun to just click a bunch of boxes and have it mailed to me. It's, it's yeah. fun to be in the store and find it in the wild there or at a convention. So that's how I'm buying back issues, which mostly end up on my spinner rack is just anything less than five bucks. And is it something from the seventies and eighties that I never read or maybe had at some point? So that's the fun of it. I still go back and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's basically, it's, it's the same experience as going into a seven 11 and seeing the spinner rack. Exactly. You know, and, and, and you just, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and I should point out here. Uh, so um, at heroes con in Charlotte, um, DJ Cristados, Pat Sampson, um, he pointed at and pointed me to a, to a, a group of 50 cent boxes mm-hmm. that one retailer was selling. And I, I'm still going through, I spent like a, I spent a paltry amount of money and I got so many comics and some of them I, after I've, after I've read them, I realize I now have them twice. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I spent 50 cents, but it was the same experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're like, there's something, there's something special about getting them, getting them that way. I have an issue of like the Ringo kid. I'm never going to oh, buy yeah. the Ringo kid. Why did I buy them? But it was like, <laughs> it had a cool cover by like John Severin. And it oh, was two dollars, you know, or whatever. So I'm like, sure, all right, let's do it. Yeah, uh, and now you've read the Ringo Kid, so you actually know something about it. There you go. Uh, so, well, anyway, Captain, thank you so much for coming on, uh, making your again your fourth appearance on a one of my podcasts. So I really uh, do appreciate it. Uh, I hope you had fun. I did, and you know, I'm 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 really I'm 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 jonesing for that fifth appearance so I can so I can get my Robbie I or or be one of Kelly's heroes if we want to be more formal. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm thinking about like starting to bone up on Bob Dylan. All right. <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you some uh, some mix CDs. So uh I appreciate the effort. So okay, uh, as you said, you you have an answer to my long uh uh forgotten exit question which is uh what character would you love to have seen gotten a treasury edition that never got one so so i have multiple answers like i like i warned you so the um and i'll tell you so you always said you know wonder woman is excluded because she's too obvious and after a while you started talking about simonson's walt simonson's thor run Mm. which which was top of my list right so so you've already said that one and i won't belabor it but um, but th- let me talk about it because you know we haven't talked much or haven't said many nice things about DC. Let me talk about some of the DC things I'd like to see. 
uh, in Treasury first. So uh, Joe Kubert doing JSA, I would love to see that. Uh, 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 Jerry Aldway, All-Star Squadron, and even especially if it was new material. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, Dead Man, like the, you know, the Denny O'Neill Dead Man days. Um, the, the, I know the, Sean the, Myers would buy it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sean Deadman Myers. Um, <laughs> no, wait, he's Sean Man Bat Myers. Anyway, the, um, but I, but I had some Marvel picks too. And I agree with you. There, there should have been more. Um, they, they should have spread the wealth more. Uh, my number one pick probably would have been, um, uh, Jim Starlin's Warlock run and, and really any of his cosmic 1970s comics. That would have been really cool. Yeah, they were beautifully drawn and, um, you know, amazing concepts and weird art, like, you know, like the Zandu stuff in here. Um, it, there were multiple Daredevil runs by multiple different artists that could, that would have made great treasuries. Black Panther, the jungle action run, uh, the, uh, going back to the, the Rich Buckler days, uh, Tony Isabella, the, those, those would have been amazing. Those were, those were, just it, it was beautiful art, you know, beautiful jungle scenes. And then um I know there was a there was a Masters of Kung Fu mm-hmm. uh, um treasury, which I bought in Charlotte and then uh um sold the next day to another um to another wonderful con goer and uh member of the uh of the fire and water community. So that was fun. Um the, mm-hmm. uh, um but but one of the masters of that, like like a run from the Master of Kung Fu comic with uh, uh, Galacy. I don't know how to say his last name. I think Galacy is how you say. Yeah. Okay. So Paul Galacy. The uh, and, and and maybe another one with the Mike Zek art because they were both. Great. Oh, Mike Zek. Mike Zek's works perfect for a treasury. Uh, yeah. You know, man. Yeah. Good. Oh my god. Imagine like the that Punisher miniseries. Oh yeah. That he did where Punisher went to prison. In a treasury, like what that would look like. Oh, yeah. like, and there, of course, was there was going to be a Captain America treasury drawn by Mike Zek. That was some of that material that J.M. Demetrius wrote that was going to be in a treasury, and then they they scuttled it. So, Bernie Rosenthal at like half life size, that would be great. <laughs> Sean Ross would love that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, right? There's, it's. I think part of the reason I retired the question is because there's just too many good answers. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's just it's. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, outside of Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, anybody, like Swamp Thing. You know, Swamp, the Bernie Wright's Swamp oh, Thing oh would have gosh. been amazing as a treasure, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's just so much good material out there that – um and to this day, I still am flummoxed that the X-Men Teen Titans book by Simonson <laughs> did not get a treasure. You know, it was just printed in a regular format. Like, oh, man. Which, you know? Been, I mean, that's, that's printing money, right? X-Men yeah. and Teen Titans – yeah yeah no i i know um yeah but i, I want to take advantage of the power of the network so that's why i said all these things out loud because i know manifest yeah, them into reality yeah yeah you know i'm not i'm not a magic user like dr strange but i i know that this network has influence we try to use our powers for good uh yeah. so well those are all fantastic answers thank you so much for reminding me of it it's been a long time since i asked that question so uh, but Captain, so thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. No, oh, thank you, Rob. Thank you for letting me prattle on. Um, I always have fun talking to you and and talking to anybody on the Fire and Water Network. So, um, so thanks again for the opportunity.
Absolutely. And I'm sure you will be on. Do you have any other appearances in the in the in the tank somewhere that haven't been released or are we we all caught up to date at the moment? Well, well, I'm not DC Dave. And so I don't have like, <laughs> you know, five or six stacked up waiting to be released as an album. Right. Um, but right. the, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do have a couple appearances planned. I don't want to, um, you know how secretive Shag is. I don't want to reveal anything. Absolutely. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, me too. I, I, I tend to be superstitious until it's recorded. Oh, I yeah. don't like talking about it. Uh, in fact, that's going to come into play. Uh, in the feedback segment, which we will get to after uh, these commercial announcements. So again, thanks everybody for listening. Captain, thank you for coming on. Stay tuned. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents. Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Mary Marvel. Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. Forcing us to record these reviews as a podcast called The Tomb of Ideas. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Call the authorities. Anyone. Tell them we can be found at... Now, now, boys, let's not give too much away. You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, a proud member of the Cinepunks podcast group. See you there, Tomb Believers. <laughs> And it's time for our listener feedback, and these are the comments we got on Treasury Cast number 83, The Mighty Thor with Martin Gray. And before we get to the comments, I just want to mention, I am very superstitious uh, as a podcaster. I do not like ever talking about a show before I've recorded it. Uh, other people feel differently. Shag will love to promote things ahead of us recording them, and I'm always like, please don't do that because some could go wrong. Generally, it doesn't. But Last month, of course, we didn't do a show. That is exactly what happened is that I broke my own rule and I feel like I, I whammied myself because uh, just a couple of days before I was scheduled to record the August episode of Treasury Cast, I guessed it on 
uh, who's editing Siskoid show who's editing and we had a great time and at the very end he asked me what I had coming up and I mentioned treasury cast and I said I have something really special I think you're all really going to enjoy it and because it was it was a guest that has never been on the show before and it would have been a really fun conversation and I never do that I never even hint about what I have coming up until it is recorded but I broke my own rule a couple days later I tried to record with this person and technical issues prevented it and because of scheduling i could not uh record at all and so there ended up being no show so i broke my own rule i got punished for it i'm never doing that again anybody so (laughs) i'm really sorry that we did not have a show uh in august again it was just sometimes just beyond my control anyway let's get to the comments as i said from treasury cast 83 mighty thor martin gray edo bosnar says always happy to see an episode of treasury cast drop especially when you cover one of the classic Marvel superhero treasuries from the 70s. The Kirby-drawn Thor stories from the 60s are ideal for the treasury format, and I have to say that I agree with Martin about Kaleida's inks. They're pretty good on Kirby's art, at least they were in the Thor stories. On the other hand, I definitely agree with Rob about the Jane Sif conundrum. I've always been on Team Sif, and that (laughs) that would be a great t-shirt. And that definitely includes the MCU version of Thor as well. Yeah, oh man, Jamie Alexander. And speaking of the MCU Thor... I also like his characterization there as portrayed by Hemsworth. In fact, I say that the MCU's Thor is sort of a combination of the Marvel comic versions of Thor and Hercules. And finally, sorry that my comment about Dan's surname proved so cryptic. The clue was in the fact that I called him ironclad. That's because in several South Slavic languages, the word Gavazdan is an adjective that either means something made of iron or iron plated. You know, I kind of assumed that, but I didn't want to be wrong. So thank you for clarifying. Rob McCarthy says, uh, Martin, don't feel bad uh, that for that fish, it lifts at least 33 tons. Uh, <laughs> he also follows up with also young wheelchair using Rob, well, not a regular Thor reader, loved Don Blake becoming Thor. Keep in mind, one, they did a lousy job showing his legs not work. He rode a damn motorcycle. And two, Don was quite the ladies' man. True enough, Rob. Dr. Ann says, always love, absolutely love this discussion. I have never read the story. But certainly we'll try to try to find them now. It'd sound like a blast. I love the movie mogul villain. Didn't Green Goblin do the same thing? Well, you know, the movie producers are in a superstitious, cowardly lot. Lastly, I love that Vince Coletta is listed as the delineator and an anchor. I think that's a misspelling. I think it is a D-liner for all he removed. Always great to hear Martin, Rob, you and Mart have great chemistry. Thank you, Andrew. Love talking to him. Love Dr. Martin. Bucky749 says, I've read a bunch of classic Thor comics and really enjoyed them, especially the Tales from Asgard backup stories. But I'm wondering, has anyone read the Thunderstrike comics and what they thought of that series? And then Martin Grage chimes in to say, I read a fair few. They're entertaining mid-level Marvel fair. Good example of how to make a replacement hero work. Give them a look. Thank you, Martin. Gene Hendricks, the Asgardian advisor, says, A question. Since before Makar's Marvel ended before this episode was unloaded, I have awaited a question. To answer you, Rob, not all his guardians are gods, so you do have common people who run shops, bars, farms, etc. They're all much more powerful than the average human, but they don't rise to the level of Thor, etc. Even the warriors through are not gods, just really exceptional as guardians. Thank you so much, Gene. Brett Young says, great show, Robin Martin. Man, I love this cover by Ramita. It's everything about classic Marvel Thor that you need. I read through this entire treasury and Jack Kirby's hitting on all cylinders. Unfortunately, it was inked by the artistic equivalent of the town elders from Footloose. But even Coletta couldn't completely water down the fun away from Kirby's pencils. The architecture is awesome. Who would not want Thor's bed? Look at that magnificent horsey-headed Viking ship masterpiece. It's got a giant gargoyle on top that looks like an off-brand Annihilus. Jay's for some Thunder God privacy. He even has a big iPad behind him for an easy reach if he wants to watch him as guard scream streaming. I should check Ikea's website. 
I'm on board with you guys about Sif. Thor should totally go with her. Jane Foster is such a doormat in this story. Plus, she's got the mental will of a house cat. Every other issue, she's being brainwashed or by a random Asgardian or villain. I'm surprised Thor just didn't pull out a swinging pocket watch and attempt the old roommate swap for Tyne and Nile before he had to go bail out Hercules. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Brett. Paul Kian from this very network says, great episode. Great to hear Martin as always. I've never read this story, but now I think I have to go out and read it like you, Rob. I read Thor pretty much only when Simonson was on it, so I have missed a lot. Me too, Paul. And then finally, Sontaran says, the problem here is that the Marvel Norse gods and the Norse gods. In Norse mythology, the gods reside in Asgard, but also lesser beings and many humans who have died. Both locations for those have died in combat in Valhalla and Folkvanger are in Asgard. In Norse mythology, most of the Valkyries are honorable servants of the gods and would be more like how angels are thought of than warrior women, though some were that. So having a market area could make sense. Thank you, Sontaran. I learned so much about Norse mythology thanks to this very episode. Uh, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for the comments. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Big thanks to Captain Entropy for stopping by and talking Spider-Man with me. It's always fun to record with him. Of course, you can find all the back episodes of Treasury Cast on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Treasury Cast on any podcatcher of your choice. If you want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it. We haven't gotten a new review in quite a while, so those are always uh, fun to see. You want to find the show on Twitter, it's at Treasury Comics. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is doing a name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pullier. Brett Young and Mark Balbus for their support of Treasure Cast. I really appreciate it. So that is going to do it. We will see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. You got hard, kid. Where are you from? Queens. Brooklyn. Ah!